Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 5. The book of 2 Samuel chapter number 5. We are continuing with the life and ministry of David. and David has become king. They had a minor civil war where the house of Saul fought against the house of David. But now we see that David has won that little mini civil war after seven years. And now they are uniting all of Israel, all 12 tribes together under the banner of the house of David. We find this now recorded for us in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 5. The book of 2 Samuel chapter number 5, and if you don't mind noticing with me in verse number 1. The book of 2 Samuel chapter 5, and in verse number 1, the Bible says this, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone, and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou was he that led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. And David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah six or seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking, David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, the same as the city of David. And David said on that day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter, and smiteth the Jebusites, and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Milo inward. And David went on and grew great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messages to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David a house. And David perceived that the Lord hath established him king over Israel. And that he had exalted his kingdom for his people's sake. Or people Israel's sake. And David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem. After he had come from Hebron. And there was yet sons and daughters born to David. And these be the names of those that were born to him in Jerusalem. Uh, Shamuma 
and Shobab, and Nathan, and Solomon, and Ibhar also, and Elishua, and Nepheg, and <coughs> Japhia, and Elishama, and Eliada, and Elep, oh, sorry, Eladit, Atit. <coughs> But when the Philistines heard that they had anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. And David heard it and went down to the hold. And the Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephidim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines without deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up. For I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thy hand. And David came to Balzerim. And David smote them there and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the, pla- the name of the place Balaporism. And there they left their images. And David and his men burnt them. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephidim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of thy going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. And David did so, and the Lord command, as the Lord commanded him, and he smote the Philistines from Gibeah until thou come to Gizar. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 5? The book of 2 Samuel chapter number 5, and notice with me in verse 3 at the very end of verse 3, where it says, they anointed David king over Israel. They anointed David king over Israel. And as we see David beginning his reign over the entirety of Israel, we're going to preach this message that they anointed David king over Israel. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you as we go through this historical section here and see the emphasis that is placed on David seeking you. And David wanting to be pleasing to you in all things and everything that he does. We're asking that that would be a pattern for us to follow as well. That we could seek you knowing that as for God, his way is perfect. I'm asking again that as we open up the Bible that you can make these stories come alive. Let us get a visual image for the purpose that we can understand what you're teaching in this passage. Fill me with your precious spirit. Guide and direct my tongue, my thoughts, my ways that you can get exactly what you want done and accomplish tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> they anointed David king over Israel. Well, if you remember that During the Civil War, David had set up his capital city inside of Hebron. After the incident with Abner and Ishbosheth, that the rest of Israel willingly submitted unto David and they made him king. Which is our first point as we come up to this. The Israelites king David over the kingdom. The Israelites king David over the kingdom. 
So after the death of Ishbosheth, the people gather together and they come to David and they recognize that even though, even when King Saul was king, that God was using David. Notice what they said in verse number uh, two. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou, thou David, wast he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel. So when even when Saul was king, it was you that came through the people. It was you that led the people. It was you that encouraged. It was you that behaved himself wisely. Notice this. And the Lord said to thee, thou shalt feed my people Israel. So the people are saying, we remember that God promised you, David, and told you that it was your job to feed the flock. It was your job to shepherd the flock, to be in charge. In addition... And thou shalt be captain over Israel. Thou are in charge. So they're acknowledging God's promises that God even had promised to David when Saul was king. And they're submitting and they're saying, you know, God's put you in charge. God was the one who placed you there. And notice this in verse 4. And David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. Then it talks about how he reigned seven and a half years in Hebron, and then later on he ruled the rest of the time in Jerusalem. Now how do we get to Jerusalem? Well, that brings us to the second thing here. That David makes Jerusalem the capital of the kingdom. David makes Jerusalem the capital of the kingdom. So we start off with the Israelites make King David over the kingdom by saying, God put you in charge. It was God that did this. It was God that arranged this. We're recognizing that God's hands upon you and that God is the one who placed you here. So now we come to David making Jerusalem the capital. Notice with me in verse number six. <clears throat> And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. Now, let's pause here. Now, in the midst of Israel, you have Jerusalem, the capital. And most of the time when we think of Jerusalem, we put that with Israel. However, at this time, Israel owned all the land except for this middle portion of Jerusalem. How, how in the world do, does this happen where you have just in the middle of a country this one city that, that's still run by Canaanites? Well, if you remember in the book of Joshua, when they went to go take the land and they took everything, they had the, the, uh, the Jebusites, the people from, from um, Jerusalem, come and fight against <coughs> Joshua. And Joshua killed and defeated the army, but he did not take the city. So what happened is that the Jebusites just stayed parked on that ter territory. Israel grew up behind them. So this is 40 years, at least 40 years. It's uh, Joshua, then it went through the judges, and then it went through 40 years of King Saul. So the Jebusites had been in the middle of Israelite territory for, uh, oh, let's throw a number, 80 years. Can you imagine that? 80 years, they're in the middle of your backyard, living, saying, hi, what are you going to do about it? And they got to the place where the Jebusites said the Israelites could never defeat us. Look, they have all this property around, but they can't beat us. And so they start jeering at them when David decides he's going to take it up. Notice again in verse number six. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, said, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in, 
in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. So imagine this. The Jebusites see David uh, outside. Now Jerusalem, for the idea of putting things in your mind, is built on a hill. And so in order to go take Jerusalem, this fortress, you have to first climb up the hill. And then on top of the hill, you got the walls. So you got to climb up the hill and then get over the walls. That's a pretty big deal. And they said that the walls are going to stand. But they send the message that unless you be, defeat the blind of the lame. Now, does this mean that they're going to uh, send out all the blind people and the lame people to go fight against David? What does this mean? Well, this idea of the blind and lame, which is brought up several times in the next couple of verses, is actually carrying the idea of their walls and their doors. You see, the Jebusites were so proud of their walls and doors that they had actually made them gods. Hey, the Israelites can't defeat us. They can't beat us. We've proved it over and over. We're living in their backyard. They've taken all this. They beat the Philistines. They beat the Moabites. They haven't beat us. And you want to know why? Because our gods of our walls and our doors, the things that keep our doors strong, the bucklers, the, the nails, the bolts, those are so strong, no one's going to break it. So David, you have to go through our blind and our lame. Again, it's carrying the idea that doors can't see, so they're blind. And they're lame, they not move, they're not moving anywhere. So David... You can't beat our gods. What is our gods? It's our doors and our walls, our fortress. You can't beat our little G God. Well, David said, wrong move. Because I'm going to cheat and say, God, did you hear that? They said that you can't beat their God. That's always a bad recipe whenever someone says that you can't beat our little G God. Because God loves to beat little G gods. He does it all the time. Notice as it goes on in verse 7. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same as the city of David. So the, the Jebusite says, you can't beat our gods. Thinking David can't beat our gods. So guess what? David Beat their gods. Now we understand it wasn't David. It was God helping. But then it goes into more detail on this. Notice with me in verse number 8. And David said on that day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame of the blind. Now again, we understand what this means. That he's saying, defeat the little G gods. He's not saying, all right, I want you to go find every helpless person in there and go beat them up. He's referring to the idea of their little g-god. And David puts a challenge. All right, boys. He's talking to his men. All right, boys. Whichever one of you goes in there and takes that city, I'm going to make you. Uh, let's back up a second before we get there. Verse 8. And David said on that day, Whosoever get up to the gutter and smited the Jebusites and the lame of the blind, notice this, that are hated of David's soul. Now, again, is it talking about that David hates all um, handicapped people? No. He's talking about that he, David hates these little G-gods. You want to trust in these little G-gods? Guess what? That's going to be no problem. So he's talking to his boys. All right, boys, whichever one of you takes that city, whichever one of you uh, goes and takes this city for me, he says, he shall be chief and captain. 
Wherefore they, his men, said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Now again, if you didn't know that the lame and the blind were referring to little g-gods, this passage can kind of get a little bit confusing. You know, why is David going to war against all these handicapped people? Well, he's talking about he's defeating these little g-gods. So this is the idea. David says, all right, whoever takes the city, whoever leads it to victory, you are going to be my general. Now it doesn't say who won here, but we already know who won. By the way, who won? Well, God's the one who beat it, but who became the general? Joab is correct. Joab's, the one thing about Joab, as evil as he was, and he has a big murder count, he was very competent in his job. He was very ruthless as a general, and so he said, all right, this is my chance. This is where Joab became general, because he took the city. David offered up, who's going to take it? Joab said, let me, and he goes and takes it, and he wins. So, verse number 9, David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David, and David built round about from Milo inward. And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. So what we see here is that David takes this city, and he makes it his city, and he dedicates it to the Lord. And Jerusalem becomes one of the most important cities of all of human history because of this time right here. And God blesses David. Why is God blessing David? Because he's seeking him. He's looking for God. That the Israelites start off by saying, God promised you, David, that you were going to be in command. It is God that puts you here. When David is going against the Jebusites, they're saying, your God can't beat our God. So David says, God, take care of them. And God wins the battle. And because he's trusting in God over and over, and this is his early part of him being king, he's looking towards God. He's trusting God. He's looking at God. And because of this, God rewards him that David went on and grew great. And the Lord God of hosts, by the way, when it refers to God as the Lord God of hosts, that means that God is the, the general, the captain of all the armies of heaven. So guess who's on David's side? The general of all the armies of heaven. And God was with him. Because David is trusting in God and everything. As it goes on, that you have neighbors to the north that says, Hey David, can I build you a house? And he built him a house. David uh, starts to have more children. He had children that were born in Hebron. Now he has children that are going to be born in Jerusalem. And everything is going well. Which now brings us to another thing here. That we come to a third thing. The Philistines fight against David's kingdom. The Philistines fight against David's kingdom. So we start off by the Israelites. King David over the kingdom. Then David makes Jerusalem the capital of the kingdom. Then we see the Philistines fight against David's kingdoms. So as soon as the Philistines hear about David becoming king and he just destroyed the city of Jebus and now he's made it his capital, the city of Jerusalem, 
Now the Philistines say, hey, this is David of old. He's not the David on our side. We need to stop him or it's going to hurt us. So they go and bring the fight to David. And so we could see two specific battles that are listed. The first battle we see that occurs in verse number 17. And when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. And David heard of it and went down to the hole. And the Philistines came and spread them in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go to the Philistines? Will thou deliver them into my hand? Now notice this. David saw an obstacle, but he just didn't go tackle the obstacle. He stopped and said, God, what do you want me to do about this? And God says, Go down. I'm with you. Go take them. And so David goes down, and guess what? He wins. But what did he do before he tried to go into battle? He asked God, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? And then comes a second battle. So the Philistines regroup after losing. They regather again. And this time David asked, notice if you don't mind, in verse number 23. And when David inquired of the Lord, he, that's God, said, thou shall not go up. You understand that sometimes God doesn't give us the same answer to our problems. Here this time, God says, don't go up. I've got another plan for you. You know, David could have presumed upon the Lord and said, well, God did it this way last time. He's going to do it the same way this time. God doesn't necessarily do the same thing twice. That's why we have to go say, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? To stop and inquire of God. God, what is it you want me to do? God, how do you want me to handle this? God, I need you. This is your battle. You tell me what to do. And this is where David is growing in grace. This is where God is blessing David because every time David is going to God, God, what would you have me to do? God, I'm depending on your promises. God, I'm doing this for you. Tell me what to do. Every time David is going to God and God is blessing him for this. This time God says, what I want you to do, David, is I want you to go round about. Uh, notice if you don't mind the wording of it in verse 23. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, thou shall not go up, but fetch a compass. That's a different way of saying go around the back way. I want you to go around them. Fetch a compass behind them and come up over against the mulberry trees. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, then thou shalt bestir thyself. So God says, nope, David, I don't want you to go take them this time. This is my fight. I want you to go around back. And when you see the mulberry trees moving, you know that I'm going to town on them. And you just come in and follow up. And David said, all right. So they waited for God to do something. And then they obeyed God. And by the time they got there, God had already been beating up Philistines. And David went to clean them up and kicked them all out of town. How'd this happen? David went to God. Over and over, you could see this idea that David is looking to God. Which brings us to a fourth thing. And something that is dealing with this same time frame, but is mentioned later. Turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23. The book of 2 Samuel, chapter 23. At the end of 2 Samuel, what it does is it puts an attention back uh, into a couple different details that happen in David's life. And 
2 Samuel chapter 23, it is referring to David's mighty men. That there are a list of David's mighty men who did some spectacular things by faith for David's name. To help him out, to work on this. And it lists some of these people and some of their deeds. What we find in 2 Samuel chapter 23 is a specific incident dealing with David fighting against the Philistines. So imagine this. David is looking down at the Philistines. They're gathered together. And at this time, the Philistines have captured and put a garrison of troops inside of Bethlehem. Why is that important? Well, David was born in Bethlehem. So look at this in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And notice with me in verse 13. And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in harvest time under the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephidim. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well that is in Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So what happened is that David's reminiscing. These Philistines have his hometown. And he's thinking about his hometown and thinking, you know... One of my favorite things to do was to go to the well of Bethlehem. And right outside the wall over in this corner over here was the well that, that everyone went to go get water from. And let me tell you, that was some of the best water I ever had. Let me tell you, I remember as a child, that water was so refreshing to me. And David's just talking about it, having memories. Well, the three men get together and say, you know what? If that's what David wants, that's what David's going to get. So guess what these guys do? These three guys get together in verse number 16. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. So here's this scene. David just reminiscing, thinking about old times. Oh man, I mean, that was the best water in the world. Oh, I would just love to have one more time this drink of water. So three guys leave that meeting and said, man, you know what we could do to honor David? If David wants some water, we're going to get him some water. We're just not going to get him bottled water. We're going to go to his hometown. I know that there's Philistines there, but we're going to go get him some water. And so what these three generals do is they go through the Philistines. The Philistines have a garrison. They have guards. They have troops. These three guys go and fight Philistines, break into the city, go and to this well, fed some water, fight their way back, come back and deliver this water to David just for some water, just to please their master. Imagine what it took. They risked their lives. Three guys versus a whole garrison. Three guys that went and risked their life just to give David some water. So what happens now? Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we continue the story in verse 16. And three of the mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the Beth, uh, well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. So these three guys hear that David wants some water. They break through the the garrison, get the water, bring it back and say, David, this is water from your well. This is what you wanted. You were just talking about it. We just came back and we fought against these guys. And David takes this water and goes, wow, guys, 
That's pretty amazing. And he pours it to the ground. He doesn't drink anything. He pours it to the ground. They go fight these garrisons. Uh, they go break through the lines, go and sneak into here, take the water, come back, give it to David, and he pours it out. If you were one of those three guys, what would you be thinking right then? What? What just happened? I risked my life for you to get some water and you don't even drink it? You pour it out and all over the ground? What's going on here? Well, remember, what we're seeing here in David's early life is that everything he does as he honors the Lord for it. These three men were willing to risk their life. They were willing to allow their blood to be shed to please their master. So when David gets it back, notice with me in verse 17. And he, David, said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. So David says, you know what? These men were willing to have their blood shed for me. And he says, God, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth people shedding their blood for me. But God, you're worth it. So you deserve this water more than me because you're more worthy. And he poured out this water to the ground because God deserved it, not David. David was the king. These mighty men did it for the king. But David is recognizing, no, it's all for God. I'm not more important than God. God's more important. So I'd rather God have this water. I'd rather God be honored. I'd rather God be worshipped than me be honored. It's all about the Lord. And this is why God was with David. Because everything that David did in his life was for God. Why was he king? Because that was God's good and perfect and acceptable will for him. He was king because that's where God placed him. Why did he take Jebus? Why did he take Jerusalem? Because God guided him. But then... Also to honor God. That these people said, our God is better than your God. And David said, no, our God's better. Just watch him work. That when David is going to have battles in his life, and there's going to be battles in your life, every battle he said, God, how do you want to handle this? You tell me what to do, and I'll obey it. And when it came time that people wanted to try to honor him, he would say, no, it's all about God. It's all about him. I want everyone to see God and that he's worth it. Everything that David did in his life was all for the glory of God. Let me ask you, is the things in your life for the glory of God? Is what you do for a living, is that for the glory of God? Where God has you living at, is that for the glory of God? For the trials and the obstacles come in your life. Is those trials and obstacles and the battles for the glory of God? You see, the thing that made the reason why God had his hand upon David, his presence was on David, is because David had decided that everything that I do is for the glory of God. Everything that I say, everything that I do, everywhere that I go, where I live, is all for God's glory.
Could you honestly say the reason why you go to work is to glorify God? You said, but I'm not a preacher. Yeah, but it doesn't matter where you work. Can you glorify? Is God glorified by you working there? By your actions, by your spirit? Are you doing it to honor him? Well, that changes the way that you serve. Where you live at, your domain, your house, is that used to honor God? Or do you allow other gods to reside there? When you come to an obstacle, when you come to something unexpected, do you go to God first and say, God, how do you want to handle this? Or do you try to take care of it yourself and then hope that God blesses your mess after you've tried to fix it? Are you going to God? When things come in your life, are you the one that tries to take credit? Or do you give that credit to God, recognizing it's Him that's worthy of it? You understand, everything in your life should be done to the glory of God. The Bible says in the New Testament, whatsoever we eat, whatsoever we drink, whatsoever we do, do it all to the glory of God. Is that a statement that you can honestly say in your life? That everything you do, everything you eat, every problem, every situation, every opportunity that comes in your path, do you do it for the glory of God? If not, now's a good time to start. Now's a good time to think about it. Now's a good time to concentrate and keep looking at Him and get others to look at Him as well. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.